0: Face mask and gloves on.
1: Okay, good morning everybody. This is Debbie Montgomery Johnson, the founder of The Woman Behind the Smile. And we're starting today. This is a brand new show called the Stand Up Speak Up series, and I'm really excited to be here. I'm not quite sure why we started this, uh, other than it was a great opportunity to speak to people who have had things happen in their lives uh, or opportunities in their lives that have changed them for the good. And uh, even though we might not understand how good they are, it's it's an important thing to stand up and speak up and tell your stories. So today we are launching this with Dr. Tim McGinnis. Tim is a friend of mine, and I'll tell you about him in a minute, but the story of Tim and my getting to know each other stem from a newspaper article that was written by the Palm Beach Post a few years ago when one of the authors or one of the reporters actually heard about my story being scammed online by a romance scam. And she heard about Dr. McGinnis, Tim, from um, he's the founder of SCARS, which is the Society for Citizens Against Relationship Scams. And it's down in Miami area, and that's not too far from me. So I reached out to Tim after my scam came became public, and I found out about his foundation, his... Uh, organization and it was just fantastic and so it launched a relationship between Tim and me and uh, we're actually working together in in a couple different ways but Tim has a plethora that's our word for the day of information about relationship scams but that's not his only um, what should I say Tim your only experience in life Um, I want to welcome Tim Dr. Tim McGinnis I think he's here on the phone I am. You are. Um, I have and, your, and thank you, Debbie. Yeah, I have your resume, Tim, and I'm going to read it. But I think we'll just talk about what you really do and what your passions are. Um, I took this off of your LinkedIn profile, which is very nice, by the way. And it says, thank you. Dr. Tim McGinnis is a serial entrepreneur with his nonprofit activities in the Society of the Citizens Against Relationship Scams or Scars and the Co-Discovery Foundation plus his businesses in large-scale e-commerce management consulting, unmanned vehicles, and robotics developments, and a unique set of business connections in China, which he will not be going there anytime soon. He was a PC industry pioneer as a research engineer at Atari and has a long background in cybercrime and cybersecurity, including past DOD or Department of Defense and other certifications. Additionally, Dr. Tim has worked in the development of regulatory privacy and security schemas such as HIPAA, GLBA, and others, while leading related standards bodies. One of his unique areas of expertise is in social engineering crime vulnerabilities, methodologies, and countermeasures associated with forms of online fraud, an $85 billion industry, through to victim recovery programs. So I want to welcome Dr. Tim. He is... A friend and just an incredible man with great experience, and I welcome you to our first show today, dr.
0: Tim.: Well thank you, Debbie. Uh, let me just say one thing up front and not to put a poll on the on today's show, but I want to send a shout out to all those people that we know um, are connected with that are ex- Experiencing challenges and difficulties because of their isolation, and especially because uh, one of our uh, senior managers in SCARS is uh, deathly ill in Mexico, uh, suffering from the coronavirus right now, um, and has just been going going through the last three days of absolute hell. But um, Well, I know that's not what our topic is about. I wanted to throw that out there because that's the context in which all of us live today. And especially, we have to be extraordinarily watchful for the opportunists in the world to take advantage of these opportunities and steer them towards their own advantage.
1: Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because we are so concerned. And I was on a call yesterday with with one of the Women's Prosperity Network groups I'm involved with, and they were concerned about this social distancing and, and isolation that we're putting ourselves into, which we need physically for the protection. But mentally and emotionally, it's really distancing us from friends and family. And many people out there don't have anybody that they can reach out in person to, so they're looking to find online friends, which... We know in our business Tim that can be a little bit um, daunting, scary and not real. So
0: especially because most people simply do not have the skills to understand or be able to identify who are the the problematics, the fakes, the charlatans, the scammers that are out there because they're aggressively contacting people just as they always have but even more so because everyone is at home, isolated, lonely, vulnerable, looking for people to talk to, particularly to share their fears and anxieties about the present situation.
1: So who do you feel is most vulnerable right now? Is there an age group or a
0: men, women? Is there any you know, any particular group well, that
1: might be most vulnerable?
0: I, I think by definition it's it's the age group that is 50 and above, particularly uh, retirees, senior citizens who are the most isolated right now because previously at least there was social circles, people that you could go and talk to locally. Even if it was just go out to a Denny's and, and talk to waiters or servers, you had some physical connection with people. But now because of the fact that this particular disease, is so dangerous for people that are, that are older in age, we're having to completely isolate ourselves even from our own family because of, let's just say the, the reluctance of younger people to accept their responsibilities. You literally, if you're our age, have to isolate us in our homes and have no physical contact with anybody. So I think that group, by definition, becomes the most vulnerable, more so than would normally be the case.
1: And that's an interesting thing because you know, my parents live down here and they're in their 80s and 90s, and uh, I have spent time with them. I've been very careful to isolate, well, distance myself from most people. But we've had to go to the grocery store, and there have been times I'm thinking, I don't want to go during the senior time you know, that they set aside in the morning because oh. we have all of our seniors out there at one time, um, but then, later on, you might have the people that are actually carrying the virus so it 's I think right now you 've got to learn that that if we can protect ourselves by preparing in advance, you know make sure that you 've got that extra medicine. My dad and I have been working on getting his prescriptions filled uh, so that he doesn 't have to go out to the pharmacy and we 've been making sure we go you know to the grocery store and, make, and get some of the things in that we we need so that we don 't have to keep going on a daily basis but I know it's taken a toll on the social lives of a lot of the women I deal with because we're not going to the YMCA to swim, and that was our social outlet. We're not going right. to lunches to, to meet friends anymore. And you can go on Zoom, well, you can go on conferences, but how, how would you, you know, encourage people to connect
0: socially distance-wise? I, I think first and foremost – you have to live your life in today's world much like our ancestors did where you have to live a life of risk awareness. For too long we've lived in a bit of a bubble where we know that there are extreme dangers all around us but we ignore them. Whether it's you know distracted driving or drunk driving or living high risk lifestyles or whatever it may happen to be. The truth is, is there still are lions in the grass waiting to pounce on us as human beings any moment of the day. We've just seen a new monster emerge equal to any Japanese Godzilla movie that has ever been made called the coronavirus. In the online world, those Predator prey relationships exist every second of every day. So, one of the key things that I believe is that you have to be extremely aware of the environment that you're walking into because not all environments are equal. Facebook is not the same as LinkedIn, for example. So, on LinkedIn, you have a much higher degree of trust than you do on Facebook, because we know for a fact that 50 60% of all Facebook profiles are in fact fake. When trying to connect with people locally, it probably makes more sense to think strictly local and connect through online forums, tools, whatever that may happen to be, that are exclusively local whether that's connecting with people through the local YMCA online, for example, um, or connecting with people through some other local social mechanisms. Even if it's just connecting with people through commenting on a local TV website, you're more likely to be dealing with real, authentic people than you are in the global social media contexts. So. The opportunity to stay connected if you focus on the exclusive local activities are vastly lower risk in most cases than the generic broad as the ocean Facebook or Twitter is going to be where you never know who you're talking to unless you have really refined skills that allow you to be able to observe dissect and identify the fakes from real people
1: which most people i think believe they do have those skills even though we know they don't i mean i certainly thought i did um although you know when i look at facebook now after all the experience that we've had together and you've taught me basically what to look for uh and what to be careful of uh, I get contacted all the time by people, and I'm thinking, you know, well, they're mutual contacts with four or five of my friends, but they just don't look
0: real. Um, well, and that's, exactly.
1: That's the tough thing. Because we want to trust. Yeah. Right? It, we want to be trusting of, of who people are.
0: Right. Even people who are experts at scams still get taken in. Uh, our friend, uh, Terue, and who has the scars. Uh, member group in Japan with many thousands of members. Um, I found her as a friend on a scammers profile that we had deleted from Facebook literally just hours ago. So you have to be careful all the time. Letting your guard down for a minute is like our ancestors walking through the savannah and not paying attention to the lion's tail that's sticking out of the brush. So whenever we give an opportunity to the monsters, they're going to pounce. Ironically, this is the lesson of coronavirus, is that we all have to live a life that can be very rich and full in a multitude of ways, but understanding that there's a monster in many of our closets and under many of the beds, that's just waiting for the opportunity.
1: So, is the coronavirus slowing down any of the scammers around the world? Not at all. Have you seen that? Not at all. So, even with, uh, with well, the India shut down, are the call centers not working like they used to? Or
0: so, so a couple of things have happened that are interesting relative to that. Yes, we've seen significant shutdowns of outsourcing centers around the world, particularly India. So that's translated into a significant drop in scam calls, your typical IRS, Social Security scam calls, etc. But where call centers are still operating, we've also seen them switch to very specific types of, of scam calling. So this is very prevalent in the United Kingdom right now where people are calling about COVID-19-related scams of one nature or another, we've seen an absolute explosion, partly because I think that the scamming industry is an, is an interesting one in general, in that the vast majority of scammers are actually living in isolation. They are shut in in their homes. Uh, they work in small groups, small cells, which are part of larger organizations, but there are very few examples where they work in in office buildings. Some cases, yes, but the majority are working in small cell environments, so they're continuing to operate full speed ahead. But they are switching over to this unique global opportunity, particularly because all of the normal scam scenarios that we've been somewhat successful at educating the world about like your typical money scams out of Nigeria and the romance scams etc all of a sudden they're all dealing with things that are ripped right out of the headlines people who are in life-threatening emergencies around the world so how can you tell which ones are real and which ones are not the only simple answer is Always again, think locally. So, if you can help somebody locally, by all means, do it. But if somebody's asking you to help someone beyond your immediate area, treat it as a scam and move on.
1: You told me that one time if if somebody asks you for money, the answer is no. right and if if you decide to to donate or something to an organization, then that's okay. But if they ask you, specifically online, uh, this comes up in romance scams, but in any of the four one nine, fee, the fee advance advanced fee frauds. Can you kind of explain that? Why, what are they doing here? Why, how do they? What's that art of the scam there?
0: Well, it it first off is based upon a particular technology called social engineering, and social engineering is is an umbrella that covers. A vast array of, of human psychological and manipulative techniques that are dependent upon all of the the failings that are inherent in human psychology. Uh, just yesterday, um, I wrote an article for our RomanceScamsNow.com website on something called confirmation bias, which is one of the core characteristics that creates a scenario that helps victims, in effect, fool themselves into the trap that allows them to be manipulated. So the scenario in in a typical scam is first and foremost, nothing happens in a vacuum. It's all based on the, the core fundamental desires that a person has to set them up to be an opportunity. And those desires are, are there's ten separate, but the basics are uh, greed, fear, lust, uh, the need for companionship, etc. Et so a person essentially needs something. Um, a scammer comes along and provides them with what they essentially need. Um the first element is is the stranger trust. The the scammer relies upon to begin a conversation with the victim. Without stranger trust, uh, you know, and, and, and we see this. You could walk up to people on the street and ask them for the time of day or or ask somebody a question for a direction, etc. That's an example of stranger trust. We automatically trust someone who walks up to us unless we see really obvious signals of of danger. Um, And unfortunately, some of those signals are based upon our upbringing. A person of a different color, for example, may, may trigger a signal. But most of the time, we are very trusting of strangers walking up to us. Once the conversation starts, it develops into uh, a, a larger conversation that naturally, over time, will reduce barriers so that the manipulation can begin. But first of those is something that we call an amygdala hijack, where essentially they're triggering recorded emotional responses in a person's brain. But There's more to it than just that. There's this thing called uh, confidence bias where our belief systems cloud our vision of the real facts. In fact, we don't see things because we're essentially projecting. So if someone says they love you and you've been conditioned or groomed, So that once that admission is made, your confirmation bias will say, oh, yes, that must be true because I not only need this and I want this, but I deserve this. So it creates a whole set of scenarios where the victim walks into it willingly. Then, of course, other forms of manipulation take place gaslighting etc which serves the purpose of isolating the victim etc but there is a whole series of of complexes and psychology that are used by the scammer over the the arc of the scam to hold the victim in the fake relationship get them to do what the scammer wants up to the point where the discovery occurs and even the denial at that point in time is largely based on this uh, confirmational bias that the facts are telling them that it is a scam. Yet their own belief system, their own their own theories of what this has been, do not allow them to accept that. So, Tim, I have a
1: quick question though: How, how do these scammers know this? How, how, where are they trained? I mean we're pretty
0: smart well, people. That's and... the thing. They're actually not. It's it's somewhat wired into them culturally. You know, we've all dealt with the vacuum cleaner on the front on the front porch step, right? There are people who are natural salespeople. Which is to say they are natural manipulators. So in order for the commerce of the world, the diplomats of the world to function, they have varying understandings of human psychology and how to mold, guide, and manipulate it. Every politician is to some extent a manipulator. They manipulate our fears and our wants to get us en masse to do what they want. Usually, it is their vote. Different do they, parties do they work use with each manipulation other? in different ways.
1: Did, did you hear that question? Do they work together in groups, or individuals, or families? Or, well, I, I, I think people that you know are looking at this that have never been scammed are saying, "How in the world can that happen?" But then, those of us that have been scammed are saying, "How in the world could that happen?" You know, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall to see how. At one point, I could be chatting with you know uh, Eric, and then the next moment with Peter, his attorney, and the next moment with Mary, his his sister, and then Kenny, his son. So, can you kind of give us a little scenario of, of where are these guys? You know, you hear about the Yahoo boys. Are there really Yahoo boys out there?
0: Well, this has certainly evolved over the last thirty years. I first became involved in this in '91 when I was an officer of a corporation called Tiger Direct and was putting us up onto America Online and CompuServe and began to see the emergence of things like the Nigerian princes and this thing called a romance scam, although it wasn't called that in, in the very beginnings exactly. But what we saw originally were individuals that aggregated together because of limited availability of internet access so essentially what they did was they aggregated into these cyber cafes in africa predominantly and used the common services that were available there now the cyber cafes usually got a piece of the cut um and the guys that were sitting on you know side by side would share information, tips, techniques, approaches, etc. So it wasn't particularly organized, but there was a natural camaraderie that developed. But over time, as individuals began to make more serious money, they began to develop into uh, superior subordinate kinds of roles in the development of gangs. And then those gangs grew to the point where they were really corporate uh, criminal organizations, organized crime on an ever growing basis. We've seen organized criminal gangs just in the scamming space that are multi billion dollar organizations. Uh, This last year, we saw two scammers arrested in Nigeria one a Nigerian and one a foreign national. Each of them had more than a billion dollars in their bank accounts. So they're whole office buildings that are dedicated towards scamming. Part of this is that in today's model, we still have this spectrum. I no longer believe that there are truly individual scammers to any great extent, uh, certainly maybe less than 1%. They're all organized in gangs and groupings of one nature or another. They have to. It's simply the reality that to provide a 24 7, 365 scamming service requires that someone be available every minute of every day to service a victim that they're manipulating, grooming, or, or closing. So they've evolved into groups. Um, groups usually consist of both men and women now, um, although some of them consist actually only of women now, particularly the ones that manipulate men, so that there will be multiple women available. Some of them will be using their real identity. Some of them will be using fake uh, impersonated identities. Tend to be groups in the half a dozen to a dozen size but we've seen cases in nigeria recently where single groups of over 100 groups of 80 groups of 60 were arrested where they were operating out of uh for example one group of 80 was operating out of a hotel where the individual rooms were set up for uh the scammers to use as their base of operations there was a restaurant there was a bar it was very convenient We've also seen call center operations out of India, for example, now that they've gotten into scamming in a very big way, where there were multiple hundreds of individuals. We saw a situation last year where in China they arrested 99,000 scammers in one year. And some of those organizations had 6,000 employees working in a single building. So the Yahoo! Yahoo! boys tend to be the outliers, the bottom rung of the scammers that are still involved in the ritualistic activities and are not so much the corporate. Those tend to be the ones that are operating in small groups of a half a dozen or a dozen that still are connected with their African rituals or one nature or another and are also very flamboyant. And very excessive. Those are the ones that are the, the the easy finds on social media, because you can see their extravagance and their excess displayed for the world. Because they're they're poorly educated, they're the instant rich, and they show it off and expose it as their way of. It's a bit like gang tattoos, which they don't go in for so instead they do it through social media
1: so are they they putting their own r- real profiles out there too is there in addition to this the uh you know i, I obviously a a romance scammer a, a good-looking guy on a facebook picture is a a fr- fraudulent picture someone has stolen that picture but do these guys have their own facebook pages where they're out showing all this stuff out
0: yeah they are but they're not using their real names always. Some of them are dumb enough to do that. We have. Can we a, catch them? Yes. And in fact we've been in contact with the Nigerian uh, Economic and Financial uh, Crimes Commission for a very lengthy period of time and feed them information about the real identities as we turn them up And it's proven to be significantly important. I can't go into the details uh, because this relationship is, is confidential and its mechanics are something that we don't want to share because we don't want to cut off our opportunity to continue to feed that information to them. But the EFCC has, over the last three years, been able to go from Uh, literally a couple of dozen arrests to a year to several thousand arrests per year. And they've been able to go from individual scammer arrests where they were arresting just one person uh, to single arrests that net more than 100 scammers all at one point in time. And when you look at at the flow, the EFCC has been able... To translate this into essentially where they were arresting one internet fraudster, perhaps a month, to literally it's a daily occurrence. They've had to establish new courts, new offices. Unfortunately for the victims, the way that EFCC has been able to do this is all of the proceeds and assets that have been seized from scammers end up in the Nigerian Treasury and are funding this activity. Ironically, it's it's about like the IRS's collection activity. Um, the more they collect, the more they can afford to hire people to collect.
1: Yeah. So it's well,
0: a self-fulfilling prophecy.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully one day we'll shut them all down. They can all go out of business. But um, that's not going to happen. But to bring it back to our, our group, this is a fascinating um, thing for me that all this information is incredible how how worldwide this is but on a personal level how can we protect our social profiles how when i when i'm talking to a friend and i'm looking at her you know pictures of kids and and they're talking about everything they're doing out there what what are the the profile security measures we should take to clamp down our stuff so it's not used by scammers and that scammers can't get a hold of us
0: Well, it's actually sort of the wrong question. The right question is, you're using a piece of technology, and it's important for everyone to understand a simple reality. You're not an expert in that technology. It's it's the realization that every teenager has to go through, that you think you're just going to jump in a car, and you're going to do everything perfectly, and you're going to have a great time. The reality is you're going to kill yourself. These technologies have nuances that have to be learned. They're skills. And even though you may know the mechanics, you may not have the skills necessary to operate them safely. So first and foremost, it's like any complex mechanism. You have to approach it from the standpoint that you do not know what you need to know. And if you can approach it that way, you can learn what you need to know. So when we're talking about social media, um, it's, it's a simple proposition. They provide an extensive set of controls that allow you to privatize your information. But the other aspect of it is, even if you had not done that, you have to be aware of the risks that you're creating. If you post Publicly, photos of children in a group, for example, you open up those children to exploitation and danger. Pedophiles are everywhere. Why would you do that? It's like putting your children's photos on the front gate of your house. You'd never do that. But yet, people don't realize what they're doing. Again, it comes back to risk awareness in our lives.
1: Right. And, so, and we trust. It's is sitting in our, in our office, in our family room. We trust what we're looking at.
0: Which exactly. Is
1: wrong, which is wrong.
0: So once you realize the risks, then you can begin to ask the questions. Okay, I shouldn't be doing this. If I'm going to do it, then I need to lock it down so that, A, only my friends and family can see it. But then comes the next question. You've gone through all of the privacy settings in Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may happen to be, and you've locked everything down. But then if you're not making careful decisions about who you're letting through the front door, in other words, the people you're friending, you're still defeating it all. So, for example, you should never allow anything to be seen by friends of friends, only friends themselves. That means you control who you who sees what. If you let friends of friends see things, that means you're dependent upon every one of your friends to be making good choices too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's a bit like the AIDS crises of 20, 30 years ago. It was who were your partners? You had to know every single person that every person you're connected to was ever connected so that you could make decisions about your own safety. Social media, ironically, is a bit like a social disease. So you have to be concerned about everyone that you're connecting with and how you're connecting with them to keep yourself plus the other people you're connected with safe.
1: And that's interesting because with all of us doing business online and having social media such a big presence in our lives, it, it, people think that they're important by the number of friends they have, the number of views they have, and that kind of thing. And we're not thinking at all about who those friends or views might be. Right. We're just looking at the number. So,
0: in different contexts, different thought processes need to take place. So, Twitter. You might only be throwing things out that are essentially inconsequential, so you don't care who sees them. Facebook is the story of your life, so you have to be extraordinarily careful about how and who you allow to see what Mm -hmm. and realize what things are controllable and which things are not. Your profile photo, for example, may be out there for the world to see, and this is how scammers steal photos to impersonate people your name may be visible and unfortunately you have to be aware that social media works against you because they want you to use your real name well many people do that is the name on their social security card or their driver's license etc never do those things Mm. now when you're talking about in the business world Most business people live in places like Crunchbase or LinkedIn, etc. So it's very important to have a different mindset about the information that you share there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: For example, typically because you're a professional, you're sharing significant amounts of information about your employment history. For example, I don't share my educational history with anybody. It's nobody's business unless I choose to share it because that's one of the ways in which I can protect my identity. Mm -hmm. And there's certain other information that is sequestered as well for that reason. But by the same time, there's the same token, I'm very selective about the people that I will allow as connections. And anybody who is problematic is blocked, they don't need to see me and I don't need to see them, and right. end of story. The same is true in Facebook. Never hesitate to block people completely. Either they're somebody you may want to know, or they're not. And if you're right. not, just block them. That way they can't see you at all. Right. I probably have hundreds of people in my block list, uh-huh. and I don't care. <laughs> they're not people I need to know.
1: Exactly, and I think uh, every now and then we need to do a good wash of our friends list. You know, who's actually there? Because I know over Indeed. time mine, is, mine has grown because of friends of friends or conferences I've gone to and really fun people that I've met, but I, you know, it might have been a year or two and do, they need to be there. So, but Tim, um, you and I could go on for hours and we've done this before, <laughs> spoken for Indeed. hours, but I want you to tell everybody how, you can, how they can get a hold of you and if, if they know anybody that has been scammed, how can they get a hold of scars? And what does SCARS do okay. for us? And then we're going to go. I so, have a caller that call, that is called in, and she has a particular problem from yesterday that we want to discuss. So if you could exactly. listen, tell me.
0: Go ahead. So so first about SCARS, you can reach us primarily through our websites, um, againstscams.org. And our content information and uh, the other publications, we have uh, a multitude of websites and a multitude of social media. Uh, pages, profiles, groups, educational groups, support groups, etc. Uh, we also publish a very comprehensive, curated information stream about coronavirus, COVID scams that are taking place in the marketplace. Uh, additionally, we have a tremendous real time news information source uh, that is updated literally hourly to provide information. Uh, news articles, uh, what's going on in the world of scams, called ScamCrime.com. So you can reach us through those mechanisms. Our primary encyclopedic website is RomanceScamsNow.com. But really, the only one you need to remember is AgainstScams.org, and that will take you to everywhere else. Uh, Any individual is welcome also to become a SCARS member, free of cost. All SCARS services across the board are absolutely free for all scam victims.
1: And it's extraordinary. The information that's there. It talks about the military scammers. It talks about friends and family, about the elderly scams. I mean, unbelievable amount of information. So I really encourage you to go there. Now, Tim, um, thank you so much for all that information. We do have a caller on the line, a friend of mine, that I'd like to bring on for a moment because she hosted a – conference yesterday via zoom I believe let's see Lauren yes hi
2: yes, hey Lauren zoom. yes <clears throat> welcome yes hi hi Tim
1: describe right. what you did yesterday and and uh, why who the audience was and then what Absolutely. happened the audience is the most ironic part
2: of all so uh, well not really uh, it's kind of crazy but anyway Um, Hi, I'm Lauren Cohen. I'm an international lawyer and um, business continuity strategist and I decided yesterday at the urging of some of my colleagues um, to do a free webinar for um, immigration lawyers because we as immigration lawyers not only are dealing with clients that are freaking out because they are worried about losing their businesses and then their visas and what the heck do they do then? but also the lawyers themselves with the small practices. So I decided to do this free webinar, and I had 200 registrants within hours. It was crazy. So at 5 o'clock, I went online, and about 100 people were online at the same time. And all of a sudden, and I'm not going to get into details, obviously, but all of a sudden, in the middle of the screen, taking over my screen, was some very pornographic, disgusting Go, it was unbelievable they were screaming and ta- talking to me and calling me names derogatory negative names they were using very bad words the n-word the C- I mean you can't even imagine it, it was I, I like cringe just thinking about it and apparently um, the ADL the anti-defamation league sent me something because apparently this is going on they're targeting Certain people, I don't know because I've heard about this a lot. But um, my son is at, uh, in school, an online school, using Zoom. You know, you I take precautions. I have check your security settings. I think there was one that was off yesterday, but it was it was unbelievable. I I, I couldn't get them. I couldn't shut them down. I couldn't mute them. I couldn't block them. I couldn't do anything. They took over my my screen. It was so scary, and I was I, I mean like all night long, I kept seeing this in my head, and it was it was awful so it can happen to anybody and um people were saying well don't give out your link publicly i didn't everybody registered so i don't you know i can't check every registrant to see if they're kosher i let them in so
0: actually that that on. isn't the, that isn't the real issue the real issue is that the platform has an inherent flaw
2: yes and exactly. this is something that exactly
0: i this is something i was talking about before is risk awareness and more importantly understanding what you know and what you don't know the the awareness of what you don't know is is like Dick Cheney said when he was vice president it's not what we don't it's not what we know it's not what we don't know it's what we don't know that we don't know that is the problem so in this particular case zoom has a flaw when you set up a session It creates a URL, a default URL. The hackers know absolutely what that schema is. You have the option of changing it to a custom URL. That's probably one of the things that you didn't do. The second is you have an option of bringing every –
1: You went
2: Lauren? Exactly. I said I did now. You did now, yeah.
0: Right. The second is that you have an option of bringing people in through a waiting room and approving them individually.
2: And I did that That
0: means, just just
2: so you know, I did
0: that. Right. But the URL was what lost you control because from that and using the defaults that they gave you when you set up the session is what allowed them basically to to hijack. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you customize it to a maximum extent, turn on all of the security controls, and... We believe that that is sufficient to keep those people out. So they'll
1: be able to come in through someone else that's on this. On that's the, the problem. That's with you. the other problem. You know, is that
2: is that people share links and then just like Tim said, don't let in friends of friends. So what I decided to do, and I don't know if this is at least. <laughs> Um, I don't know, honey. Just I'm sorry. Debbie come back <laughs> to me. I have to get something for my son, okay?
1: That's okay. She's she's homeschooling now.
0: Another right. one of
1: the, the parts of uh, well, the
0: virus. What what this is also a problem is is that children, for example, are calling in or connecting. Why Are in. you asking
2: me at nine forty six, honey?
0: So one of the things that is also problematic is children are using links that they're given. And the people who've set up those links have no idea how to secure themselves or deal with these problems until it becomes catastrophic. So right now – That would
1: be a mess. I mean, all the schools now have gone to online learning.
0: Exactly. And instead of using reliable secure mechanisms like WebEx, for example – Which is a paid service, but it is rock solid secure. They're using things like, well, what we're using right now free conference call. Right. It's free for a reason. Right. But unfortunately, um, some of these services like Zoom and others haven't really paid attention to the risks that they're creating. Facebook was exactly the same way. It really wasn't until Europe started finding them billions of dollars that they got privacy as a religion. Five years ago, when SCARS was created, or even before, they had no concerns whatsoever about the privacy or security of any of their users. All they cared about was sucking in as many people as they could so that they could put on their balance sheet that they had numbers of active users that they could sell to advertisers. Hmm. Today well, it's a it's, different situation.
1: Oh, absolutely. Still not fixed. Absolutely. And, and interesting, like, again, how trusting we are. Uh, I, when you first started talking about that at the beginning of the show, about how, you know, stranger danger, we all are taught stranger danger as kids. And at some point in our lives, it, turns out to be well you know let's be nice to this person or you know be kind to that person that you don't know and then it's like you say someone walks up and asks what time it is and then you start talking and then all of a sudden you know your best buddies um but lauren as a business owner and me too we're on zoom conferences all the time and until yesterday i had not heard of that
2: okay so i heard of it debbie and i just was like oh that's you know it's kind of like who never thought this whole thing would happen to
0: us, right? It's kind of like, Oh, oh that's not gonna well, happen we, to me. we published gonna on it writing. about two weeks ago, actually.
2: Well, everybody publishes, but it doesn't mean that everybody listens. And the reality is like, here I am with a exactly. bunch of lawyers. Okay, and you know what, not one of us took a picture of it, because apparently you can report to the FBI, I, I was completely just I did I was like, Okay, what do I do? Okay, how, how do, do I, I do? Off? Like, I would, I, I just, I had to deal with the fact that there's 100 people waiting for me. Now, obviously, they all saw that they're not blaming me. And now everybody's like, like, commenting and like, wow, that was crazy. And, you know, but at the and, and thank God that they're all colleagues. But imagine if they were all clients, like it's even worse or children, God forbid. I right. mean, this was disgusting. They were writing words like those terrible words across the screen. It was unreal. Yep.
1: Well, it's amazing how yep. the brain just goes crazy. I mean, when you said that no one took a picture, it takes me back to when my scammer actually revealed himself. And for an instant, my brain just cleared up and I took a picture of him. I don't know why I did that, you know, but thank goodness I did. But same thing, as initially your, your emotions take over and it's just like, oh my gosh, how do I shut this down? Not thinking about how can I shut it down in the future? It's like, how can I shut it down right this minute? So... How did you shut
0: it these down? Are, these are examples of of a combination of, of situations that all come together in, in essentially a perfect storm. It is an incredible I- irony that this pandemic happened at this moment for a variety of reasons. One is that health technology around the world has reached a point where while it's terrible and horrifying it could be a thousand times worse and then the other aspect of this is as we as we isolate ourselves we have the technological platform that enables us to maintain our businesses maintain our our, our professions our relationships our families through this distributed connection mechanism that is quite astounding if we actually just think about it think about just 20 years ago, what would we have had? We'd have a landline phone that we would have been trying to do this with. So part of it is that. The other part of it is, I hate to say this, but the enablement of the things that we're talking about are, are grounded in some very profoundly suicidal philosophical models that we've developed and accepted as the norm think about for example the the kind of people that we as americans were 200 years ago think about the era of of you know davy crockett and daniel boone and self-reliance our innate inherent skepticism there were, there've always been suckers in the world But generally speaking, as individuals, we had a philosophical component in our makeup that was missing in them that we have today, and it's called otherness. Some people also call it political correctness, which is to say that we have an inherent fear of discriminating, of judging, of condemning, of saying no to people, of not being agreeable, in other words. So this sets us up for these situations that we tend to take things at face value far too often without realizing it puts us at extreme risk. This pandemic is actually a good example of that, how worried we were about offending people by doing shutting down a travel, closing our borders. Yet that would have been the most logical thing for us to do. So still to this day, there are states that are afraid of putting people in lockdown because they're afraid of offending people or saying that this business is not essential or that. When in reality, we all should just basically stay home for a month would be the most survival-oriented mechanism. We have to change our philosophy from an anthropological point of view to be aware of the risks that we're living so that we can recognize the wall has holes in it that I need to board up. I need to look for where the vulnerabilities are, not just accept that everything's going to be okay. And and Zoom is a perfect example of that.
1: Well, Zoom and Facebook, and I mean all the social medias. But uh, there are even games. I had a woman contact me that she'd been playing on uh, uh, Words with Friends. It was a yep. Scrabble game, some type of game that yep. you know a man had developed a friendship with her over time, and then start asking her for money as a friend. I you know I need five hundred dollars or a hundred dollars. Whatever, it starts little, um, but they just they gain your trust. And again, we are such I think such a trusting group. That uh, makes us vulnerable to these things. So that goes back to if somebody asks you for money online, no, you know. And and let I- me
0: give you an example of that. Last year, the Chinese arrested uh, ninety-nine thousand scammers in their country. Almost fifteen thousand of those scammers were from uh, about six different criminal enterprises. Mm. And what those criminal enterprises focused on almost exclusively large converted factories where it was just thousands of people in in a building, all sitting in front of a computer, all playing games on the the Steam platform, on the PlayStation platform, and the Microsoft Xbox platform. And what they were doing is they were playing games to develop relationships and connections with the players to ultimately scam them in a multitude of ways. Unbelievable. So for example, you've heard of scammers that ask for Steam cards? For what kind of cards? Steam, S-T-E-A-M.
1: No, I haven't.
0: Okay. So we know that scammers We have scammers five minutes, ask, room,
1: but let's go fast.
0: Okay. So we've heard that scammers ask for, for uh, gift cards.
1: Right. as IP a payment cards. mechanism,
0: as they've been locked out of the money transfer systems. Yep. So they ask for things like iTunes cards, etc., because those they can sell. Mm-hmm. The Asian scammers, the more professional scammers, also ask for Steam cards, which they can also sell, but they can also use to scam other people
1: so what is on a the Steam gaming card is it, is it like a credit card, or a debit card or something?
0: It's a gift card like an iTunes card or an, or a a Google Steam, Play card. A Steam it's just card. a credit that is is redeemable or fungible.
1: Wow. Interesting. I have to do the do a little research on that one. So that we've got to be really careful cuz just a real quick thing is you know we've talked about how um the 50 and older are being scammed, but also the young kids, the 13 to 18. And one of the draws there is, from what I've been told, is that the scammers will befriend them and then ask for iTunes cards. So parents out there, if your kids are buying iTunes cards, you think that it's for them, be really careful. That it may not be for their use. They may be, they may have friended somebody, and uh, you just got to be really aware of what's happening. So. Tim, you and I could kids talk Kids also
0: have access to their parents' credit cards.
1: Yes, they do. Parents, Not. remember that. That Unless you've got your wallet locked up in the safe, your kids do have access to your cards. Um, and are
0: dumb enough to give out credit cards and banking information to a scammer.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's amazing that we, we all get sucked into that at some point in time. But Tim, I want to thank you for being my very first guest. I know you're going to be here with us in the following um, series and uh, we're really looking forward to getting the word out in a bigger way of how to protect ourselves from online scammers and to protect ourselves on Facebook, LinkedIn and all the social medias Uh, and we're going to be looking forward to finding out what's new. So this this week what's new is be careful about anything, anybody that's contacting you about the virus because it's most likely a scam.
0: Um, and, and also be very careful about the platforms you're using, and make sure that you fully understand the security and privacy settings for each and every one of them.
1: And that, I think that's a lesson in itself. So maybe Tim, in the future, we're gonna we'll do a session on each of those uh, platforms and how to really secure secure your profiles. Um, so again, you can reach Tim and the organization at SCARS at againstscams.org. I'm looking at it online right now. It's an incredible an incredible place for knowledge, uh, romancescamsnow.com. And and you can reach me. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson. I am at thewomanbehindthesmile.com. And I'm working very closely with SCARS in, in a capacity as, as an advisor and as a survivor, their prone survivor. And uh, we look forward to hearing from people. If you know anybody that has been a victim or a survivor of a scam, please get them in touch with SCARS. Uh, we can't do this alone. We don't want to do this alone. You're not going to be able to heal alone. Um, that's speaking as a survivor myself. I needed to connect with people and had to learn that I was not alone, that I was not stupid being taken by a master manipulator, um, but there's a skill to what they do and it was the perfect storm for me too, just like coronavirus is a perfect storm right now for the scammers to go after us. So thank you, Tim. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate the folks that came in on the call and that listen to it. We're going to put this out there so that we can share it with other people. There is a huge message here of be careful, be careful, be careful. And thank you so much again, Tim, for your time and for those that were here. This is Debbie Montgomery Johnson, and I will talk to you all next week. Thanks, Tim.